Hello and welcome to Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking with Paul Hoppe about the question of, in a world of powered people, what happens to the people without powers? We're going to be looking at this in specific in regard to a couple of pieces of media, especially Avatar, The Legend of Korra, as well as The Boys and X-Men and a couple others I'm sure we'll talk about. But whether you've seen all of those or none of those, we're going to make sure there's a conversation for everyone because if you've ever been part of a superhero conversation, if you've ever been watched a superhero story where some people have powers, the question comes up, what about the powers? Who, what about the people who don't? All that and more right after this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined again by uh, Paul Hoppe, who was the original co-host, the er-host of this uh, podcast with me back in the day, as well as the inspiration for it, because a lot of this came out of conversations Paul and I would have while taking a... Um, can't call it a dinner break, but a food break at two in the morning while at a casino. <laughs> um, and there's at least one time I remember where we were both doing good at the poker tables, but the conversation was so good we didn't want to go back and keep playing for a while. Um, but yeah, so Paul, it's great to have you back. I'm glad you kind of uh, become a little more rever uh, semi-regular again, and uh, good to have you here for this discussion. How are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty good. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's it's morning, which you know I guess is when most people eat breakfast. <laughs> um, you know, but we'll we'll try to we'll try to be alert and um, yeah. coherent. Paul, Paul and I actually uh, brought back that old tradition. We were playing a game of poker last night with some friends, old and new, uh, over Zoom and electronically. Uh, so it's kind of putting it all back into perspective. Um, now I want to say uh, to you fans, you guys have been fantastic. We did a big push for um, uh, reviews, uh, especially on iTunes, and a number of you wrote in. I wanted to read one or two more of those to say thank you. Um, the first comes from. The name is A-L-S-B-S-I-W-N-D-H-D. Um, so Paul's going to go ahead and try to pronounce that now. Alswinded? <laughs> I think possibly. I, I have no idea what it is, but I appreciate your review. Uh, he said, uh, this show is basically the kind of conversation that I have with the boys during the credits of the theater. Um, I think, yeah, that, that, that makes me so happy because that's exactly what we were kind of going for. Like, this started from, like, Paul and I, you know, having these conversations and my having a gigantic ego and thinking like, of course, everybody else would want to hear our conversation. So let's broadcast it. Um, uh, T Nozzle writes, uh, you guys are super freaking good. Love the debates of almost all ethics. Great show. Love when Jeff and Matt on it, are on it also. They're from the um, MCU cast and Stranded Panda, Stranded Panda Podcast Network. So thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so... Uh, also, last one, Follow Fabe writes, great in-depth angles at the morals involved or lack thereof of the world uh, in the world of comics. So thank you so much. Please keep sending in those reviews. We always love to hear them. Uh, keep sending in feedback. Um, you know, we will, uh, I'm always happy when we get emails. We can try and read our Facebook comments. So we can read them uh, on air and talk about them. Um, but so let's now get into the topic that we want to talk about. And it's a little bit amorphous, and especially because I think we want the focus to be on the topic itself, not just the media we're discussing. Although, the conversation, I think, was, for, for me especially, really inspired by um, Season 1 of Avatar The Legend of Korra. And so we'll talk more about what that is in a bit. I'll say that we are going to definitely spoil pretty much everything from that season. We'll make reference to TV shows like The Boys, though I'm going to try there to... We might spoil like individual funny moments or interesting moments, but try not to spoil the big plot points um and there'll probably be a couple of other pieces of media that we talk about but core is the main one we'll be spoiling but the, the heart of 
the topic... Possibly a little bit of uh, the original series, the, the Last Airbender. Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, I yeah, I, yeah, I think that's definitely like, true. If we're going to talk about Korra... Maybe the very end, even. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it no, seems it's... very relevant. Yeah, so probably the, the very end, of, but we'll try and give you some spoiler warnings when we're about to talk about that. Um, but yeah, so um, I think that the heart of this topic is, and it's one that I've always really thought about and always been interested in, which is the, okay, you now have a whole bunch of people in your world who have powers. What happens to everybody else? What, what are the rights of everybody else? What, what happens, you know? How do you treat these people by law enforcement or by what's the issues of collateral damage? Um, and I always used to be kind of frustrated that we never saw stories covering that. Um, more recently, we've been getting a lot of that. We've been getting um, the Netflix Defenders shows, um, uh, especially Jessica Jones have talked some about this in terms of like, how do you legally treat people with superpowers? Um, the X-Men, I think, has always talked about this to some extent, with both Magneto and Professor X both being concerned about what are the non-powered people going to do. Um, but in almost all of those cases, it's still the, the point of view characters are the people with powers. And I think it's very interesting to think about, like, how does the way they tell those stories, you know, do they make the people without powers seem sympathetic? Do they make them not? Um, the Boys is one of the only ones I know of where the point of view characters are not the people with powers, which I think is part of what makes it an interesting part of this conversation. But yeah, it all, it all just kind of comes back to these questions of what happens in these worlds? What happens to the law? What happens to sports, and athletics, and celebrity? What happens to the class divisions that are caused? So let me just kind of start by throwing it out to you as kind of a, just a general thing. Paul, what, what's been, is this something that you've been thinking about a lot that you were thinking about watching superhero stuff? Where, where does the idea of what happens to the non-powered people come up for you? It, it is something that I've, I've given a lot of thought before um, the boys came out. And I mean, this episode isn't about the boys, but the, um, you know, I think when I watched the first season of Korra, I didn't think as much about it at the time. I mean, I think generally what writers do in worlds like this is they create a token unpowered character. Yeah. We'll call them a Xander. Um, <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> and, um, I mean, although, you know, in that case, actually, there was only one powered character kind of to begin with, and then everybody ends up with powers, basically. But, like, right. um, you know, I, I think it's often treated like the characters, you know, characters having powers is what seems interesting at first, right? It's the element of, um, I mean, the whole world can be fiction, but that's the element of the world that separates it, especially in, in these types of um, worlds that are like pretty much like our own, but then there are people with powers. Um, and so those were sort of, I think, the default viewpoint characters, right? Um, and I mean, I remember even just going back to like playing World of Darkness games and feeling like there was so little... Like, what were the, the regular people doing? It seemed like every character was like a vampire or a mage or a werewolf or or something, right? Yeah. And um, I, always, I always felt there was something lacking by not actually having much um, representation for the entire rest of the world. Right. But, you know, it's like, who wants to play a human when, you know, you can be someone with powers or even mm -hmm. a human with powers. Um, so I, I think that's, it's a, it's difficult because I think once you give ca some characters powers, 
Um, I think the audience is often going to sort of gravitate towards like, oh, that's such a cool power. I wish I had that power. I kind of want to be one of those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to making them kind of uh, a force in the world, but, you know, not the protagonists. Uh, sort of like the way, like, so many shows and so much fiction um, centers around, like, really rich characters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, even, like, you look at a Game of Thrones, and it's like, well, yeah, not all the characters have powers, per se, but... Most of the characters are born into positions of power, and it's right. like a struggle between all of them. And Most it's like, of them are... have the, the training of knightly combat. You know, like they've sure. grown up yeah. being trained to be fighters in a way that your average peasant would never have. And that's certainly like the ability to ride a horse and use a sword and fire a bow and arrow is kind of a superpower in that world, for sure. Right, right. And just the access to, you know, resources as well, yeah. right? Um, and so it's... It's really interesting when a show like Korra goes ahead and, you know, the first season is about sort of this this tension between people with powers and people without powers. And the, you know, the tricky thing is that um, it's it's a world that, it's it's not like a world where there's this, like, few people with powers, right? It's like a big, like, the, the national identity of the four nations that existed before this series, right, before... Um, and and let, let me actually break in here, yeah. because like, like I said, I'm sure some of our listeners have not seen Legend of Korra, and we're going to spoil some of this first season, but, but you know, some folks may not want to watch it, but still be interested in this conversation, so let me just give, like, a quick summary of what's happening in that. Um, and again, it's going to be very brief. Uh, please don't add us with all the little details we missed, because I'm sure I will make broad generalizations, but <laughs> the, the world of Avatar, and again, we're going to go back to the more general discussion, but because we're going to be referencing Korra, let's just fill this in now. The world of Avatar is one in which, as, as Paul said, the world is divided up into four nations. And in those four nations, they have an identity around a specific element, earth, air, fire, or water. And that there are certain people called benders who basically have a kind of magic, basically, or like spirit power to bend that element. So that water benders can like, you know, bring water out of the ground and shoot it at people and form ice and you know, build ice castles or fire, you know, incredibly sharp, you know, crystal knives at people. Um, uh, um, or even, uh, as we find, you know, uh, affect the water in someone's blood and control them like a, a marionette puppet. Um, airbenders control air and they can fly and they can, uh, you know, send gusts of air at people. Firebenders, um, you know, are basically, uh, you know, uh, invocation wizards from D&D with, with really good fireballs and other spells like that. Um, <laughs> and they and can earth- eat tea. Yeah, they can heat tea um, and power, like, balloons and stuff like that. And then earthbenders are, are they control, uh, in the earth, and they can, like, bring out, you know, they can build incredible buildings, they can lift up rocks and throw them at people, and then later some of them become to actually metal bend, because metal is connected to the earth. Um, and so, for most of the story, we get just about how the benders doing what they're doing, they're heroes. We meet non-benders, but there isn't any discussion of that. In the, the um, Legend of Korra, in the first season... The, the heart of the story is that there's this group called the Equalizers who are very concerned about the fact that the Benders have all this power and all this, and I, I think the best, way to word, the best word for it, honestly, is privilege. And mm-hmm. that the Equalists are very concerned about the fact that there is um, no, you know, that this is a very unbalanced world and that the Equalists feel like they're always getting pushed around and all this kind of stuff. 
And, and so they're set up as the main antagonist. And we'll get into how they're treated because I think I certainly, and I think Paul also maybe, uh, but certainly myself, is not very happy with the way that that story is, is told because I think it, it, it puts an interesting spin on this powered, non-powered discussion that we'll definitely get into. But that's just so that people understand what we're referencing. Like that, The Legend of Korra is definitely about the split between powered and non-powered people. Uh, in that first season, it's told very much from the perspective of the powered people in a way that pretty much seems to be much more on the side of the powered people uh, for a number of reasons that we'll get into later. But so just giving out that context and then like we can pull back to the general discussion. Um, and because I think you're right, Paul, I think that there are there is some really interesting conversations to be had there about, I mean, I kind of always have this this issue with superhero stuff that like I love superheroes, but I hate fight scenes. Right. <laughs> I, I what I want is like a four hour exploration of the sociology of a world in which superpowers exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it, it's again shows like the boys and Cora are getting into that. Um, one thing I think is interesting is that in both of those, like the sporting events that happen are all basically mm. only for powered people because right. like, you know, and there's also um, there's a, a series of young adult books by uh, Brandon Sanderson, who's a very prolific uh, fantasy and science fiction type writer. And, and they go even more so the, the, they're called the reckoners. And the whole idea of this is that all the powered people are pretty much evil. And this is about like the non-powered people trying to fight back. Um, and th- the first book is pretty good. They, they kind of, I think, betray the concept and go off a cliff in later books, uh, as well as being horrifically sexist. But um, the, the point is, like, one of the things they establish is that, like, you know, once a person can run superhumanly fast, the idea of seeing what how fast a normal person could run, no one cares anymore. You know, no one cares how much could a normal person lift or how high can a normal person jump because you've got superheroes who can blow it all out of the water. Um, and it talks in the book about the idea that that has kind of a deadening effect of like, if you're not a superhero, what do you have to strive for? Why do you want to try to become faster? Why do you want to try to become stronger? Um, and, and so that's just a kind of example of the kind of thing that is interesting is, that's not even talking about the legal, it's just talking about like, what happens to the people who don't have powers in a world where the people who have powers are so glorified and lifted up? Um, it, I mean, it's interesting that, um, you know, the, the sports sort of thing, right? Um, like in the real world, computers can play chess better than humans can. And that's right. been true for decades now, right? But people still watch humans play chess. Um, and I, I know a lot of people might be being like, they do? Yeah, they, they do. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's become a really big thing online, too. Um, and, you know, there's been a, a surge in the popularity of the game. And, you know, similarly, poker, computers can play certain parts of poker or certain variants uh better than than humans possibly can and people still play um so i i guess i would push back a little bit against the assumption that you know it's true that if um you know and and granted computers aren't the same as you know say a, a a superhumanly powerful human but um you know i like, all right, so it's like people watch the WNBA, right? And right. people watch the NBA, and I don't think they have exactly equal ratings, but um, so, some of some of that is, like, wh- who do we watch and why? Um, right. I think some of that is, is um, it's, it's cultural, right? 
it's mm-hmm. it's not all going to be just like you know if if you only want to see the best play against the best all the time like maybe you'd only have two teams yeah and right um i mean and, and, and that's why i think it's interesting is that it it's it, any of those like we can't predict in any way what would happen to a world of people who have powers so mm-hmm. so we offer ideas and i think i think you're right this is one interesting idea it's not by any i don't think it's 100 percent guaranteed that would happen um I would offer well, just the, the counterpoint to what you're saying is that, because yeah. um, you're right, people still do watch, um, and pe- like chess, people probably still play in poker. Yeah. Um, there has been a lot of uh, really good data around the idea that, um, you know, 50 years ago, sports were on the radio or maybe televised, but were nowhere near as popular. And a lot of people took part in, you know, like their company softball team and stuff like that. Right. Um, and those things have faded quite dramatically. They're coming back a little bit now. Yeah. With some like backlash, but like there was definitely a movement of like, don't play, watch these better people. Um, right. But yeah, and and so I guess my point um, would not be that that wouldn't happen or can't happen. It definitely can happen. We know it can happen. But my point is more that it also could not happen, and that um, that a lot of it's uh, societal, cultural. Yeah. That like we could, I mean, we can in our own world create a world. Where people are interested in watching a broader range of people competing, right? right. Um, just the same way that in in a fictional world, you know, they could still have sports where you're just you're not allowed to bend, right? right. Like that could be a thing. Um, and I mean, and even here, Cora, um, but she's the character known as the Avatar, and the Avatar are the one character on on the whole planet. Who is able to bend multiple elements? Generally, like if you're an earthbender, you can't touch anything else. The avatar can bend numerous things, and no one's ever thought about the idea of the avatar taking part in the sport before. And so they, because the sport involves numerous people bending at each mm-hmm. other. So again, it's a sport that non-benders literally can't play. They can't even like play in right. the backyard and pretend to be. Um, but they actually make a specific rule for Korra that she can only bend one element while in the sport. Which right. is kind of We're- interesting. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess sort of seems reasonable, but, like... She's also the person who the spirits have decided will be the best bender at all four, so there's already right. kind of a problem Right, so it's there. also kind of maybe not reasonable, like... But, um, well, but I think actually what you're saying of, like, that it could be this way, but it doesn't have to be... Exactly. It is kind of, I think, going to the heart of at least what I want to talk about this episode, because it's, I think, if you have a world with powered people and unpowered people, and there's no thought to that... I think a classed society where the power becomes an incredible privilege with all the powers that privileges has is not in- inevitable, but is very, very likely. Yes. And that what you'd need is a society that really does some actual thought on how can we have athletic events that involve, um, you know, these other things. How can we, if we have a world where some people run around reading people's minds, but we have things like poker where the ability to keep a secret is essential to the game. How right. do you like limit what when a per, you know a person can read someone else's mind without like you know treating those people horribly? Um, and I guess that's that's to me the some of the interesting stories is how do you say our society is built around the idea that well let me put it this way I think we all tell ourselves that our society is built around the idea that everyone is fundamentally the same and so we all have the same rights and the same privileges. I think. That's a complete myth. Um, and the reality is there's vast differences based on, you know, your race, your gender, the amount of money you have, the privilege you have, the background you have. But there's at least some idea. I mean, like, you know, we are all 
fairly genetically close in terms of like, uh, you know, a genetic outlier can maybe run pretty darn fast, but but they're still suiting human limits. Um, but the, these shows are saying like, yeah, let's take that question of we're not as equal a society as we think we are and really blow it out to proportions and say, yeah. what happens to a society when some people are so much more powered than others? Yeah, crank that idea up to like 1,100, basically. Yeah, um, yeah and I mean... Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I don't have a lot of super good answers, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I have some ideas in the real world that we, we can make things more equitable. And, I mean, people have been pondering the question for hundreds of years, thousands of years. I mean, um, in terms of when people have just these really just, like, outsized powers where it seems like everybody in in the, you know, the, the Avatar world is either born with the ability to bend or born without the ability to bend. Right. And, it, and um, if you want to try and make people more equal in power, it seems like nobody's really given a whole lot of thought to how to teach non-benders to bend. Like, right. is that possible even? Um, sure, the but, implication seems to be that it's not possible. Right. There, there is the an idea that, like, there's a crazy plot thing that can happen where people get powers, bending powers later in life, but it's nothing that they do. It's still just as random. Um, right. Um, so then the other solution is like, do you just try to remove everybody's powers who has powers? And that also to me, I mean, the first one seems like a good solution to me, but it, right. it doesn't have a, um, um, like, you know, ideally I think if we can elevate everybody, to where they have as where they basically have as as much where they reach their potential where where they um you know i mean we look okay we look at these powers right and it within the context of the shows um i'd say for the majority of the time they're portrayed as these destructive combat powers right yeah i mean sure in the original series ang mostly uses air to evade people and stuff like that and um, you know, you can use metal bending to restrain people instead of, like, sending a sword through their heart or whatever. But um, generally, there are these combat powers. But, I mean, when you think about, you know, power over the elements, it's like that, you know, is can be extremely constructive, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, earthbenders can build a city in, in hours, right? Um, so, you know, the idea of just, like, trying to remove everyone's powers seems... First of all, um, to be removing abilities that can be used for good. And then second of all, also really, you know, removing an aspect of someone's identity. Like most of the people who are benders identify very heavily as being benders. What's interesting is that there's these four nations that were basically built around benders. And the people in those nations who are non-benders still identify with that element. Right. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, could be interesting to, like, delve into, like, why do they identify with that element? Like, do they actually have um, some connection that's not the ability to bend, but that, you know, that actually is connected with their identity? Or is it just kind of like, you know, well, that's, you know, I'm around some people who can bend this element, and so... Um, 
so they've basically told me for that to be my identity, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah that's and a really th- interesting yeah. thing. And, and even to some extent, like, I, I love what you said about, like, how people are raised. If you're a bender, you kind of think that's the central part of your identity and, like, that losing it would be really devastating. I mean, to some extent, that's not very healthy. Like, and, and right, here again, yeah, like, yeah, I, totally. I, like if, you, if, you, if you keep running with this idea, the boys especially does this, but I think you can apply it to any of these things where the way people with powers are treated is kind of a metaphor for the way like celebrities are treated. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, think about like people who are professional athletes, like in this day and age, at least they're probably identified as being like athletic prodigies as well as like genetic, like just, I want to say mutations. That's not, but like, you know, like, yeah, significant genetic outliers. Yeah. They're identified as that as like at age 10. Right. And like, they didn't spend like, not always, but a lot of the time, like a lot of their childhood, like, all their time is on Little League, and then they go to college, and they, like, are focused entirely on this. And then you hear these stories about someone who, like, blows out their knee or, like, something else happens, and their athletic career ends, and they have no idea what to do with themselves. Um, right. And that's what I thought of when you talked about, like, you know, for a bender, but, I mean, the same thing, like, for an X-Men. Like, um, in, in some of my favorite stories about the X-Men, they do explore, like, what, what if you could voluntarily give up your powers? Yeah. And there, at least, it's voluntary. It's voluntary, so you have the chance to, like, really think about it. But they go into this idea of, like, but, you know, if you've grown up all your life being a mutant and maybe being hated by that, but at least still forming an identity because of it, like, who are you without it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think with athletes, it's like athletes lose their powers at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if your power is to hit a baseball 400 feet, and not just a baseball, but, like, a baseball thrown at velocity with spin and you know, ridiculous major league pitching, like you're not going to have that ability for the rest of your life. And so forming your entire identity around that, like then you're like someone who used to do that. And it's like, sure, that's how most people are going to see you because that's what you did. Right. Right. And then maybe they see you on dancing with the stars or something. I don't know. (laughs) But, But like, um, it's, it, it does seem like, you you know you would want people to have something beyond that and i think a lot of athletes do find something later in life life beyond that or or not even just athletes but anyone who has a career that has um sort of a a limit you know in terms of um how long you can perform at the highest level um and and kareem abdul-jabbar to me is a really interesting example because he's someone who i mean his abilities will fade you know his knees are not as good but like he's always going to be seven foot tall or whatever, right. seven foot one, seven foot two. Yeah. But like, he's really made this transition where now he like does a lot of political and social commentary and mm-hmm. he writes books and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. He seems like, I feel like he wouldn't have the microphone that he has without having been a great sports star, but he's been able to use that to really kind of like transition into this other life beyond that, that I think is, is very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he basically had, um, something else that he wanted to do right that was was important to him and he was able to leverage his his earlier success for um uh you know future success and future future influence really um in a you know what i think is a really important way um he he also had an acting career let's not uh no yeah that's right he was making a lot of movies (laughs) i I mean i don't like to think about the other um athlete i think about who had a big acting career was oj simpson who is mm-hmm. not, I think, an example of someone doing well after athletics. I mean, he's an example of someone 
doing things and having a very different identity after <laughs> professional sports kind of took I, the opposite I, direction. But I think you could, I mean, you could, I think, use, or, and again, we'll, we'll get back to the actual story here, but I think that's the point is that all this is a metaphor. And yeah. I think the boys especially, O.J. Simpson, I think, is, again, I don't know his sociology, I don't know his psychology, but from some of what I've read, like, he is someone who, who had this, like, he grew up always being told he was a hero and always being told that whatever he wanted he could have and that, like, you know, when you're part of that kind of victim culture, you know, that I'm sorry, that kind of um, hero culture, right? Um, you know, you get, I, like, I there's incredibly high numbers of um, uh, professional athletes, either current or, or former, who wind up being like abusive to their partners or, mm-hmm. or otherwise violent, or because you're 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 tr- you grow up in this attitude, and again, it's not to justify any of it, but it, it explains it, I think, in part yeah. of like you grow up in this attitude of like. You can have everything you want. You're never wrong. And it's, again, Legend of Korra was a kid's show. And, leg- and <laughs> all, everything of Avatar was meaning to be, like, um, you know, positive and kind of happy. And it was very much not a grim, dark show. But I think if you ever wanted to tell, like, a grim, dark story in the Avatar world, this would be one of the things to explore is, like, what happens to the bender who loses their powers? Or even, like, what happens to the bender who just, like, because in that world, bending is basically kind of martial art. So yeah. what, like, you know, they have arthritis and they can't do the hand motions as well. What happens to them and how do they be all pretty much all become drunks or like whatever it is, right, right, you know? right. like that's a great story to explore that Nickelodeon is probably not going to tell that story. Probably not. Probably not. But there would be a lot of blood bending in it if it were a grim dark, uh, yeah. bending show. I, I think we're going to move on to actually discussing how Cora explores this and why, uh, at least I thought it was problematic. Um, but I want to kind of raise one other thing, um, and I'm going to reference. I've referenced this before, but I think it's it, it's a, good to bring up um, the TV show Babylon Five, which um, I'm not going to have any big spoilers for. But it's also I think more than 20 years old, so I'm not feeling too bad about spoilers. But if you ever want to see, it is I've it, never seen it. It is fantastic storytelling, amazing plot, amazing characters, with some of the cheesiest dialogue and special effects you'll ever see in science fiction. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's a struggle. But one of the central ideas of that story is that um, humans have, at some point later in the future, developed telepathy. And here they do really go into the question of, like, why would people be afraid of um, telepaths and all the ways in which telepaths could be terrifying? They could be the perfect spies. They could manipulate people in relationships. They could win every gambling possibility or every business deal, you know. Um, but so they start with that, but then it kind of goes into like the Magneto worst nightmare where telepaths are now incredibly regulated in that world and they have to wear gloves all the time because if they could touch another person, they could read them much better. And like, they can't ever be involved in gambling. They can't ever be involved in business. They can just do other things. Um, and they're really treated like the fear that telepaths would treat everyone else as second class citizens results in a world where the telepaths are treated as second-class citizens. Yeah. Which, to me, I mean, that, I think that's exactly Magneto's concern. Uh, and I think that's such a... I think it's a real concern of... of if you have a large number of people who are afraid of, every, of these people who have powers, finding equality is going to be really hard. It's either going to be one group's on top, or you're so scared of that that the other group winds up on top. Yeah, I mean, like, in, in our world, you know, we have... I think the problem of basically oligarchs 
and mm-hmm. then, you know, everyone else. And to me, that seems like a much easier problem to solve that we still can't solve in today's society because apparently there's um, never really been an appetite to... Well, maybe it's not an easier problem because what always because what happens is when you have um, leftist revolutions that ostensibly aim to remove that oligarchy, what you often will end up with is just basically a new oligarchy right. that you know says that's not what it is. But like when you really look at it on paper, you're like, yeah, but you small handful of people had this massive amount of power, and everybody else still has what they had. Um, and so, so yeah, it's it's hard in real life, but um, you know, in our world, there's power in the form of um, wealth can be removed, right? Yeah. That's a thing that actually can be done, um, and in the form of you know, ability to govern absolute power, like when people just say no, then that power dissipates, right? right. Um, I mean, and that takes great effort and that takes changing minds and, but it's, it's possible. Whereas in a world where people have these just inherent abilities, it's like, you can't like tax someone's bending. Right. Right. Um, although like, maybe that's, maybe you can. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think to me, like, if you look at it, like we can't stop the fact that some people are white and some people aren't like, that's not, we can't change that. I don't think we should, but the fact that whiteness has more power and privilege is completely a social construction because there's nothing yes. inherently about being white that makes someone any, you know, better or different or anything like that. It's just these awful prejudices we've grown up with. Um, yes. But like a waterbender can literally do it. And like you said, like money is a real thing, but we can equalize that to some extent. Yeah. Um, bending is not like that. There's a social construction that puts benders on um, pedestals or put right. someone like su- Superman on a pedestal. But yeah. like the fact that Superman can fly and most of us can't, that that's not a social construction. You know, that, that right, it right. is the fact that um, professor X can, can read people's minds in a way that rest of us can like, that's a literal difference in a way that the rest of us don't have. Right. Exactly. The, the way, you know, Kareem being seven feet tall or seven foot, whatever is, is a real thing. That's we're not going to be like, Oh, let's just, uh, let's just bring you down a foot. But right. That's, you know, in terms of basketball, it's basically like a superpower. In terms of everything else in the world, I mean, I imagine actually it's very inconvenient in a lot of the rest of the world. Like, buying <laughs> right? clothes, walking through doorways, sitting I, in cars. Like I, I used you know. to sell cars for a living, and we had oh. someone who was, um, I think he was a, a basketball player at the university. Yeah. He was at least six foot eight. Yeah. And finding a car he could fit in oh, was a yeah. very difficult thing. Right, exactly. So, I mean, there's ways in which, you know our society doesn't accommodate for people who are, you know, outliers in certain ways. Um, and, you know, where, where you know, they may have advantages in other ways. But, like, bending or, like, the ability to fly or, you know, any of these really, you know, outsized powers, um, there certainly aren't any easy answers to right. that, you know. Um, but I'd like to see something deal with um, the idea in a, I, I'd like to see someone try, you know, like, um, I, think it, I think it's great. Yeah. I, I think it's great that you brought up, um, Buffy earlier with the Xander reference because mm-hmm. 
there, here's an example where I feel like they try and it's a kind of cool moment, but when you think about it, you're also like, this kind of is also making it worse. Because right. what Buffy does is, uh, and again, I'm not going like, to, spoilers for the last season of, last episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is 20 years old by now as well, um, or some arbitrary number of years old. I'm bad with numbers. Um, yeah, probably like 17. <laughs> that, yeah. Paul, Paul and I used to have a concept called Matt Math. Uh, my <laughs> playful ability to the numbers. But the point is, like, Buffy does this really cool, because in that world, there's a whole bunch of people who are potentially slayers with all this incredible power, but most of them are never, like, activated. And so Buffy does this, this ritual to activate all these people and basically give all these people their special powers. And, um, uh, you know, and at first you think about it, and it's awesome, you know? And, like, they get to defeat the evil, and all these women get to have these incredible powers. And it's everything from, like, people fighting to, like, kids who are being picked on by bullies to the one moment I often think about of a girl who looks like she's not a traditional athlete, she's picked on probably, and she's, you know, at bat in Little League, and, like, we see her, like, miss a pitch, and then there's the moment that happens, everyone gets, you know, their powers, and you see a smile on her face as she digs down at the plate, and you're sure that now she's going to hit the ball 600 feet. And... Do I want to see that character get empowered? Absolutely. Do I think that she should now be playing Little League if she has the power <laughs> supernaturally granted to hit a ball 600 feet? I don't think that's fair. <laughs> like, Right. Although, so, okay. Here's the thing, though. Like, it's the idea that it's supernaturally granted the issue, or is the idea that she's such an outlier such an issue? Like, because, I mean... Everybody has different abilities, right? And right. when it comes to things like sports, I mean, it's sort of just like an issue with sport itself. Yeah. Is that, you know, w- sort of what's the what's the point of these competitions? And, like, it's really a tiny fraction of people who, I mean, okay, we don't know necessarily how much of it is, is training, like skill, and how right. much of it is physical ability right like um genetic or you know like what you ate or whatever um basically but you know there's it's reasonable to think that you know if you're five foot two you're gonna have a hard time in certain sports having a career as a professional athlete right and the majority of like big money sports tend to favor you know, people over a certain height, right? People whose frames are going to develop a certain amount of muscle. And, um, you know, the way sports are constructed actually does it. And in some sports, it's the exact opposite. Like to be a, a gymnast, especially a female mm-hmm. gymnast, you often have to have a very, a very small, you know, uh, small frame to be able to be successful. But yeah, For still, sure. it's a, yeah, like, you, you can't be too tall. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think you're right. And it's interesting, like, cause, cause especially like, I mean, Part of the point that we're supposed to be seeing in Buffy is it's the idea of, you know, women who have been, uh, you know, in a very patriarchal society, not given the same power, not given the same abilities. And then often like the fact that, you know, on average, men tend to be bigger or stronger is used as a kind of power against women like Mm. that, that this moment balances that. And I think in part that Little League moment is awesome because of that, because it's like Mm -hmm. this girl who isn't necessarily as physically gifted as the other kids on the the. The, the playground, especially the, the boy who's pitching. Like, great, she has that. But, like, what about the girl who's in the middle of, like, an eighth grade, you know, girls' high, uh, basketball game? 
Like, right. Now one of those, because that's the thing is, it's like, to me, it has to be universal. You know, if you right. give powers to a yeah. larger group, that's great. But now you still have this disparity between the powered and the non-powered. Yeah, and um, I mean, because basically what you've done there is instead of making people more equal physically, you've basically taken a small number of people who, you know, on average were somewhat less physically powerful and made them just the most physically powerful, right? Um, where, I mean, I think, you know, that girl in Little League could probably, uh, has probably more physical power than, you know, the strongest adults, right? Right. Um, who aren't also slayers. Um, and, you know, that, I mean, and that's always a, I mean, if you, if you brought all those people kind of up to the level or up a little higher than the level of the most powerful adults, it's like, okay, you know, um, maybe we've kind of made things a little bit more balanced or, you know, we've shifted where some people are with some other people. And, uh, you know, I think that's, there's certainly nothing, nothing really harmful there. But when, when, um, you know, when some people then get that much more powerful than anyone else, um, you know, you, you do have to wonder like where, what kind of society is that going to, um, right. result in? And I think that's the interesting point is like, how, how could we, you know, one of the, one of the reasons, one of the ways might be that you try to use super science to get everybody the same powers. Right. Um, and maybe that can work. Maybe it can't. And I think we definitely think sometimes have like villains who that's their evil plan. Mm-hmm. And, and the point, the problem is that it would actually create, you know, more problems or a lot of people would die. But like, if your plan is like, it's bad that some people have powers, let's give all them powers. Like that's, that's a good way to equalize it. But yeah. if not, if you can't do that, then you at least have to have some way to be like, let's have the society recognize that. Cause, cause in a lot of ways to me, I think of it, it it's a, pri- it's privilege. And yeah. what I really have a problem is when. The powered people don't seem to understand why non-powered people would resent them, right. and and so treat it as bad. Um, which, uh, go ahead and respond to, and I think that's actually a really good segue to that. Let's dive more into Cora and why this first season, I think, uh, is not the best way of handling these questions. Um, yeah, just just go right into Cora. Okay, so the other part of what I didn't say about it, so the way the story plays out in Cora is. This group called the Equalizers come up, and, and I, like, I'll tell you about my own journey with the show. The first couple episodes, I was like, this is going to be my favorite show of all time, because mm-hmm. we start out by seeing Korra. You know, in the first set of Avatar stories, we had Aang as this 12-year-old boy who comes from, like, Buddhist monks, and so he's, he's silly and he's immature, but he also has this kind of, like, wise, enlightened aspect to him. Um... Cora is 100% an angsty emo teenager. Um, and I think that's great. I think a lot of people don't like her character for that. I think it's a great part of her character. But, you know, she has all these powers and she doesn't have a sense of responsibility. So in the first episode, we see her, you know, people rob a store. And while trying to track them down, she destroys like five other buildings as part okay. of fighting them. You know, and she does all this collateral damage. And... We're challenged, she's challenged with like, you know, why should you, you shouldn't have done that. You were wrong to do that. And then as we meet the equalizers, a lot of them have similar complaints of like, you know, that firebender like saved things by burning down all the buildings on my block. Or like, you know, I got injured by this. I was so excited for it. But then what happens is very quickly, the equalizers are turned into more of a cult. And I think this is the, the power that writing can have. Like, you could have written the story in a way that the equalizers are 
very sympathetic and they clearly have a point even if maybe their methods are a little bit too extreme so therefore they're the villains but we can sympathize with them and i think like a, a killmonger from black panther is a great example of that yeah. um you know the fact that like by the end of black panther t'challa t'challa has realized like killmonger was right in some ways um that's not the story they give us here instead they show us the equalizers as a cult that they're doing this terrible thing because they their main thing is that they can remove people's bending um and then as the story goes on and they're just doing horrible things they're terrorists they're killing innocent people uh they destroy anybody who disagrees with them or stands in their way and then the real icing on the cake is and again here's the big one of the big spoilers um for Korra season one go ahead and skip ahead well we're gonna talk about this for a while so <laughs> Go stop, yeah, watch Korra, watch, watch this show. <laughs> um, but, or just keep listening if you don't want to watch it, but you want to understand what we're talking about. It's revealed that their leader, Amon, is actually a complete hypocrite. He's a bender himself. He has this kind of personal vendetta against other benders, and, and that's why he's doing all this. And so, we ne the, the result of it is that we, the audience, come away thinking... That the idea of criticizing the benders or wanting to take down the benders a few pegs is actually kind of ridiculous um and that the the world in which the benders have the power they do is actually the right way to have the world be and even more important the characters never have that moment of self-reflection like they never have that moment that t'challa has t'challa how does it actually pronounce is it t'challa or t'challa i think it's t'challa okay they never have that moment that he has, or that like sometimes even Professor X can have, or others, of being like, huh. You know, Cora never has a moment of, I can understand why benders don't non-benders don't like me. And and the other characters don't have this moment of like, how can we make for a fairer world? It's just, nope, the idea of criticizing us is stupid. These people should know their place. Everything goes back to normal. Yeah, I mean, it, to, to me, it, th that was that was one of the, the best things about... Um, Black Panther, um, from a sort of story standpoint, like construction of the story, is that it had a villain who had a very legitimate point and had a, you know, maybe not so great solution to the very real problem, right? Um, and so the hero fights against and defeats the villain, but then makes some of that take some of that viewpoint is like okay you know basically like i hear you and i'm going to try to fight against what you know i'm i'm going to make changes in the way that you were suggesting making changes but like i'm i'm going to do it in a little different way you know right um and i i think most really good villains um or a lot have often have a point Right, yeah. like they should usually have a viewpoint that, at, at a minimum, makes sense with their story. And here, okay, like we understand that there's this personal motivation, um, but when the villain isn't, and not even the villain, like the so he's a villain, I'd say, right, Alan. Right. Um, but the movement is like the antagonist in a way, right? Yeah. Um, and having an antagonist that has a point, like has a fair, like what happens to all those people when he's outed as a bloodbender? Like, I mean, I think the movement kind of fractures and there's still some people kind of, you know, pushing it, but not as effectively, I guess. Um, right. but 
it, it really is like, you know, if the heroes don't kind of learn something, or if the protagonists don't learn something from the villain or the antagonist who has a legitimate point, I feel like that's um, that's a wasted opportunity. And um, I mean, I'll say I, I I enjoyed the Legend of Korra. I think maybe more than you did. Um, I think you know I wanted to enjoy it. I wasn't really digging too deeply into it. Okay. Um, the art is amazing. Yeah, you know, I, and good. and the world building, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of like fan service. This character is descended from that character, kind of thing, like blah blah blah, um, which you know kind of makes for some moments where like oh, but then it's kind of like well, I don't know. Almost it almost speaks to you know the point of like what so all these important characters are descendants of other important characters. So it's like everybody else just like doesn't matter that much, or yeah. Um, it's that, but, that Star Wars problem of every important character right. has to be part of one of these, like, three families. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, but having said that, I I really enjoyed season three a lot more than season one. And I feel like it treats kind of the same principle um, differently and better. Um, but here in, in season one, um, the, you know... Like, people have a real issue. Like, you know, the the heroes really are doing, um, uh, you know, damage. Like, yeah. And and the the society really is inequitable, and that is that's like brought up as a serious concern, and then it's kind of like um, sidestepped and not really not really addressed in a way that you know I think when you're when your protagonist is like 17 um that's a show that's written or created for for kids who are a little older than a show where your protagonist was 12 yeah um and so I I think you know they they had license to to go a little deeper I think and and should have um and you know I guess a, a spoiler for the original series, if, if if any of the listeners haven't seen it before listening to this podcast, um, you know, at the end, Aang is basically faced with the, you know, decision of, like, how how is he going to go about, go about stopping just an exceptionally powerful bender, right? Um, and he figures out he can take away their bending. And to me, that seems like a very reasonable way to deal with an individual who is, um, like, basically destroying the world, right? Right. Um, you know, when you look at the whole society, it's like, can you take away the power of all of the benders? Mm, that's, well, first of all, that's a lot of people. And second of all, you know, that is a part of all these people's identity. And it's not like they're all going around causing harm. Right. Um, so you know, maybe something that was more targeted. That's like, well, these people are abusing their bending. And if someone's abusing their bending, then we're going to maybe, maybe you could take it away temporarily. And, right. you know, it's almost like a prison sentence, except it's not. Right. Well, and that, that even, and that gets into that, that, those questions of like, you know, but is it okay to be like, you have this special power that you didn't choose, you didn't ask for, mm-hmm. but you have it and you used it badly. So we're going to take away you know, right. because what if, like, that is, you know, you, you keep your house warm because of your fire bending or, you know, something like that. Right. Um, going to the point you made about Cora being a teenager, I, I think that that's exactly the point. Like, 
this would have been such a great time to tell a story about a teenager who's been raised since she was a very young girl told you are going to be the most powerful bender on the planet you yeah. are the hero you are the best person in the world you're great you're wonderful because of these powers that you have and i think part of why i felt so almost betrayed by it is like the first couple episodes we see that we see her having this moment of having to be like wait i was always told everything was perfect and now maybe right. i'm doing harm do i need to think about like that would have been such an interesting thing to see a teenager go through. Yeah. Um, but instead, I think, like... And I will say, again, avoiding any spoilers, later seasons of Korra, I think, are much better, especially season three, because they do try to sort of redo this question, and it does feel like the, the writers kind of realize they got it wrong, and from a very different perspective, but we have a, a character who clearly is unhappy about the state of the world, and their story is told in a way that is much more sympathetic to them. Um, but we still don't get that those moments of Korra. Like, and I understand we may get that more towards the end of the show, but at least in season one, we don't have... Korra, I think, doesn't come out of it in any way feeling like maybe I take for granted my bending powers and I should think more about the people who don't and how what we do affects them. Um, right. Which would have been such a good story. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and th there is... I, I think I think the story has uh, you know the 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 series has an arc. Um, I never got to season four, unfortunately, so I, I don't know the completion of that arc. I think you're somewhere in season four, right? Yeah, I'm like four episodes into season four. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, I like sometimes. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of shows, you know, can do their best work towards the end. You know, if, um, if there's, if they're trying to kind of have paint this broad arc, um, and you know, I'd, I'd like to leave room for that. Maybe that, that happens towards the end. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that just, there's, you know, it's kind of a, a lost opportunity in that regard, um, in, in season one, you know, also they, they made the seasons shorter, than uh, for the last Airbender, which I'm not entirely certain um, why they went about that, why they did it that way, whether that was more Nickelodeon or you know, and that's one thing that kind of a sort of a little bit of a caveat, caveat sort of footnote is that when when shows are a certain way and deal with certain things or don't deal with certain things. Um, a lot of times, you know, especially with shows that were on television and, and not just native to a, a streaming platform, um, I think a lot of times where the responsibility or blame or credit goes um, is sort of spread out. Like, you you don't always know, you know, like, I mean, I know originally they, they wanted, you know, Cora to be a girl, right? Or a teen, you know, a, a right. woman. Um and the the network's like mm, no we don't we don't think uh, boys will watch you know a show with a you know a female protagonist uh. and they're like no right yeah exactly and like you know they won that battle like we don't know what other things maybe they wanted to I'm I'm not going to assume that they did but I'm certainly going to allow for the possibility that you know the show was twelve episodes and maybe could have delved into some things that maybe. You know, they were given notes like, "Oh, maybe let's not do that." Well, do, do you know about the the moment that where they lost that fight? Because the, there's something that happens at the very end of season four 
That is, oh. um... It, it, I don't, it, it, and I don't want to know as a spoiler, but... Okay, it's talked about on yeah. the internet all the time. If you want to broad... Um, yeah. uh, I, I think it's... It, it's relevant here. The people who know what I'm talking about will understand. There, there's a direction that the writers clearly wanted the show to go, and they actually, like, it's floating around. There's footage that they wrote to make it go in that direction, and the authors said you can't... The, the producers said you can't the do pre- that. They had to cut it, and so it is not quite that. So, um, but yeah, and I, and I think that that's always a thing, is like... yeah. What's the pressure from the fans? What's the pressure from the producers? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, one of my other favorite examples of this, and I, I talk about it all the time on the Star Wars Universe podcast, but of where we have an antagonist that I thought would have been so much better if we understand their point of view, is the Separatists from the, the prequels oh, yeah. in Star Wars. Like, yeah. we see all this exploration of why the Republic is failing and the Republic is not great. I, I could totally understand why a planet would want to break away from the Republic. Like... Look at Naboo. Naboo got invaded. The Republic did nothing. They had to save themselves. I would yeah. think Naboo would be the head of the Separatist movement. <laughs> like, right, right. You know? But in that sh- instead, they just make the... the Count Dooku is very much an Amon in that he's just a hypocrite. He's just working for Darth Sidious. Um, spoiler warning. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, and I feel like, just again, it, it just makes it such dumb storytelling because there's no yeah. moments of reflection and there's no complexity. And... To me, Korra is the exact same. Mm. At least season one. Again, I think it does get better in later seasons. Are there concrete ways that that you could see um, either this story or another story really addressing kind of this this central issue? I think... I don't want to make this too PC, although I definitely lean in that direction. And I, I know that some folks have trouble with the concept of privilege... And I think that there, there are sometimes ways that it's applied in ways that don't make sense or it's not explained well. But I think, honestly, that even if you don't use the word, the concepts behind the idea of privilege, I think, would be a really good thing. Because I think in the same way that, like, I have myself personally never been afraid of the cops the way that I can understand a person of color for very legitimate reasons would be. And so I've learned how to understand this, but I might not understand the instinctual, like, fear of a cop coming into my neighborhood in the same way. And I feel like I had to make a conscious effort to say, let me understand what I don't understand. Let me understand that I have always come from a middle class, upper middle class family. And I've always had, you know, I've definitely been personally poor, but I've always known that there were economic resources in my family that I could fall back on. And so I've never had to make the economic choices that some other people have had. Let me try and remember that as I look at their decisions. Um, I think if Benders were, were to take that moment to really say, like, wait a minute, we never think about how hard it must be to be in a world where we have this power and others don't. How can we, like, take action to fix that? How can we, we can't give them the power, we can't take away our own, and frankly, like, you know, you take all the Earthbenders' powers away, you lose three quarters of the world's architecture, and, like, buildings are good. Um, you know, right. but, like, you know, even if it was just a, like, how could we be thoughtful about the collateral damage that we're having? You know, like Cora, Cora having this attitude of my job is to stop the criminals. And so anything and everything I do to stop the criminals is always okay. Um, you know, is that, is that a problem in the real world? Yeah, just a bit. I mean, like it's a big joke in the series, but like there's some poor yeah. cabbage farmer who is probably yeah. bankrupt by now because his cabbages keep getting knocked in the air. Um, it's a joke from uh, the first Avatar series, but yeah, I, my cabbages. Yeah, 
that that's now the outro. Um, I, but I think that's exactly what we're getting at. Is I, I think that would be a really good step, as if there were ways in which, you know, we do have this sport in Legend of Korra that's all about bending and, like, people's power to bend. Okay, let's really try to also have a sport that doesn't involve bending. And like you said, where bending is forbid, forbidden. You know, let's try to maybe develop a national identity that's not built on the superpowers that some people in your world have that not everybody has, you know? Um, I, 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 think, I think that's the thing, is like in the same way that whiteness is a social construction, um, the physical ability to bend is not a social construction. But I think the yeah. concept of benders as like the high point of the society and the people who take care of things and the heroes or possibly the villains, I think that's a social construction. And I think you could yeah. do a lot of work to change the societal understanding of bending and how it fits. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I mean, I think it's important to remember that like we can never know exactly what um, someone else has gone through, what they're going through, but that we should always seek to understand that when people tell us, you know, what their lives are like, like we should listen. Yeah. And, um, and you know, that, that doesn't mean you always have to take everybody a hundred percent at their word. Right? right. Um, because you know, obviously in the world there are some number of bad faith actors, but you know, by and large, when, especially when, I mean, when anybody tells you, hey, this is how I feel about this, or this is what's happened to me, like, generally, you should give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And when large groups of people say, oh, yeah, that happened to me, this has happened to me, this is how I feel, da, 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 like, then it's, you know, there's a point at which it's like, okay, well, that's very clearly something that's happening. Like, there, there's, it's not some vast conspiracy. And so, you know, when, the equalists basically are all like, hey, we feel oppressed in this society. Like, it's really incumbent upon the benders to yeah. listen, right? Number one, stop and listen. And and then try and come up with solutions, you know? And, and listen to the, to the equalists say, well, what, what solutions are you proposing? And if the equalists are like, well, we want to take away all your bending and throw you all in jail. It's like, okay, maybe not that, yeah. right? Like, I mean, like, what else can we do? Like, in some regard, this is the central theme of Marvel Civil of uh, Captain America: Civil War. You know, yeah, and very much when when the mother of those boys who died in Sokovia comes to Tony Stark and and yells at him, he clearly mm -hmm. listens. And yes, I I feel like the whole movie is about the solution to the problem. Yes, but everyone acknowledges there's a problem. Everyone acknowledges right. that you know the heroes are taking actions that they should but that they're not careful enough about the collateral damage you know and that i think that for cora you know this wouldn't have been perfect but something that like you could do to make it still a kid's show and not go too deep what if like the last 10 minutes of the last episode even the last five minutes had been you know our heroes all celebrating they won and then someone i hope it'd be cora but maybe it's one of the older folks saying yeah you know amon was just a hypocrite and he was terrible but he convinced those people because they had some legitimate reasons. And, you know, that character helps encourage the others. And, like, our final scene is, like, you know, a couple of the big power benders sitting down with some, you know, people who were big in the equalist movement and saying, like, listen, Amon was terrible. We know you don't want to be terrorists, but clearly there were reasons you were upset. We want to hear those reasons, you know? And it just yeah. ends with that. 
that five minutes would have it wouldn't have fixed everything, but it would have made me feel so much better about all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that would work. I think having you know some character beats throughout of. You know, especially because you have all the angsty teen self-questioning, right? All right. the self-doubt. Um, I feel like that would have that would have been a really reasonable thing to have self-doubt about. Like, yeah. you know, not just like, oh, I'm supposed to be the avatar. Like, you know, am you know, everything isn't going right. You know, am I good enough? Whatever. Um, how's my airbending coming along? But like, you know, like. Is it good that there's an avatar? Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to be the avatar? Like, like, you know, some... I mean, because the, the av- avatar is, like, the ultimate position of privilege in that world, right? right. Where that's, this one person is born with just more power than anyone else can have. Right. Um, and so, you know, some, some reflection on that, I think, would be very powerful. There, I'm going to leave it very broad... Um, there are people who have seen the whole show who are probably wondering why we're not talking about later seasons. Some of the questions we're discussing now do get addressed in later seasons, but you're right, definitely yeah. not in this as well. And yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot of discussion about Cora, and I think a lot of people don't like her. And I, I think a lot of it is I sex. like her. Yeah, no, I think she's. I think yeah. she's a great character. I think yeah. a lot of the uh, dislike of Cora is from a sexist place, which I think is unfortunate. It's a lot of, like the same stuff that happens to Ray and, and characters like that. Yeah, and I think some of it is. And again, there's probably a sexist idea to this, but also it's a different thing of like, part of why people like Aang was like, he has a couple of moments of like childish insecurity, but for the most part, he's, he's pretty focused on who he is and his values and he doesn't waver from those. And Korra is very much the opposite. And I like that about her because she does Mm -hmm. question everything. And, and see, I hadn't even thought about this until now, but it, it now seems like she is so like vigilant to, to criticism not vigilant but like she's so sensitive to criticism mm, she's mm-hmm. so interested in like you know she's very defensive about it but she's very quick like you know when someone attacks her she gets defensive like mentally uh with words i mean but you can tell yeah. it still eats at her and so right. the fact that she doesn't spend this season kind of being like but, but do the equals have a point you know did i do too much collateral damage um right she does something like at the start but nowhere near as much as, as the season goes on like, it seems like she'd be the perfect character for that storyline. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let me throw that question back to you then. So how would you, uh, in a world like Korra or, or any of these other worlds, you know, what do you think could be done to kind of build a, a more just society where you do have, I mean, to some extent, like two different species. Like, they often, in the X-Men, they talk right. about how, like, yeah. they're not really homo sapiens anymore. They're kind of a, a homo mutations or something, whatever it is. Uh, homo superioris or something? Like, yeah. Like, that's not uh, a problematic is... name. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But, yeah, like, how, uh, how would you, how do you think you could build an, uh, a society where some people are going to have that huge difference? Yeah, uh, I would have liked to have prepared, like, some really coherent, straightforward actionable suggestion um but i think it's a very it's it's not an intractable problem but it's it's a problem that's harder to solve than uh problems that we have in in our own world which i have a lot of suggestions (laughs) like a long list um but in in a world where you have something like bending you know i mean do you have something like a a bending tax where like, you know, people, I mean, like how do economics work? Right. Right. When, you know, some people can, 
labor like how long would it take to build a statue if you're not an earthbender right mm-hmm. or to to make a statue and then how long would it take if you are an earthbender how long like i guess there's just nobody makes houses you know um like if they're not an earthbender or out of out of stone nobody builds buildings out of stone i mean right. so it it's but at the same time it's like when there are people that have those um sorts of powers that's work that doesn't need to be done by other people. So theoretically, you should be able to build a better world right. um, if maybe, you know, there's certain, you know, you, you create a, um, you know, more egalitarian society in, in terms of like the the allocation of resources and, you know, you, you create fantastic public buildings. And even that, though, can get into some very bad places. And I, I know that you don't mean this, but I think some science fiction shows uh, have definitely explored this of like, okay, so if you say we don't need people to learn masonry because the benders are going to build all the buildings, that can lead to slave labor pretty darn quickly. Like, yeah, did, right. Do the benders get a cho- What about the bender who's like, screw architecture. I just want to go lie in the... Or like, I exactly. can bend, but I'd rather just go be an accountant or a musician. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. It, gets it has right. to be an opportunity, not a conscription. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's like people in, in our world with, you know, really amazing athletic ability, like, don't all necessarily want to play a game for a yeah. living, you know? Um, and so not all do, but many do because they look at it and like, well, I can do this thing for millions a year potentially, or I can do this other thing for like nine bucks an hour, um, and it, 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 you know, people do end up getting kind of sort of coerced into into certain um, yeah. certain fields, maybe. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I've certainly known people, and I'm sure you have as well. I think it's almost a, it's almost a, a cliche joke at this point. You know, if you have a friend who's more than like six 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 tall, you know, they're like six eight six ten, and they yeah. don't play basketball. They probably, at least in high school and college and into their 20s or 30s, had a lot of people asking them, somewhat jokingly, somewhat not, well, why don't you play basketball? Like, right. you have this height, so clearly that's the, like, thing you're supposed to do. And, like, yeah. you know, so I'm like, no, I want to be a poet or I want to just, you know, com- design computers or whatever it is. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think, like, in, I mean, the main thing is, like, honestly, it almost doesn't matter to some extent what powers people have like if there is accountability for when people use their powers whatever they are destructively and if there is opportunity for everybody right right um and you know i I mean i don't get the sense that in in republic city or you know in the the cora the world of cora that there's a complete lack of opportunity for everybody else i mean there there could be more you know uh it could be worse that way um like does everybody have food you know does um yeah there's not the privation that we saw in bossing say an earlier city you know it does seem like there isn't yeah you know we we do meet a homeless person like there's some people who are not in great shape but i don't think it's like I was going to say, it's more like our world. It's not dystopian levels, but our world is pretty much a dystopia at this point. Um, for sure, for sure. I mean, it seems like a better world than our world, right? Yeah. Like, um, in a lot of ways. And, 
Um, but that's the thing. It's like, oh, you, you're homeless. You don't have a house. Do you want a house? Like, we can have a committee of, you know, volunteers or people who are paid by the, by the you know, by the city or the government or whatever to just build you a house in, like, five minutes. Right. You know? And that's the thing, is that you can use those powers for good and in a way that benefits everybody. And, you know, the people who have exceptional powers can be rewarded with something for using those exceptional powers for good. Um, maybe don't, maybe have another sport that's non, that there isn't bending in, you know? Right. And But the, the thing is, it's like, that just makes for good TV, right? Like, bending. I mean, that's the thing. It's like... It's flashy. That's you, you why we have so many shows with a lot of violence. You were talking before about how, like, what's interesting is the combat powers. And, like, I think in this world they've established, like, there are waterbenders who are perfectly happy to just figure out how to use waterbending to irrigate crops, you know? Mm-hmm. And there are firebenders who, you know, hang out in the furnaces and, like, help right. to, to build those things. And those stories aren't as interesting. Um, although I will say that um, there's a... It's just a throwaway moment. But there's a moment in... Um, Legend of Korra, where one of our uh, hero characters, who's a firebender, is shown when he's kind of in a tough economic situation, like what looks like almost like a like in eighteen hundreds like sweaty, really hot, uh, <laughs> topless, you know, not wearing a shirt, like you know, right, shoveling right. coal into a furnace. He looks like he's in just that miserable position. He's just firebending into a furnace instead, which I thought was another like, yeah, not even them are all treated great. Right, exactly, and you know. Um, that that kind of comes down to the economic system, right? Like, what what is their economic system? Like, is it unfettered capitalism? Right. Like, do they have a way of actually making sure that everybody has enough? Um, and I mean, I I think stories of uh, that that aren't focused around you know the violent conflict, um, but featuring people with outstanding abilities. You know, like like bending in this case could certainly be perfectly interesting. Yeah. Um. I mean, how much, how much um, violence is there in the episode Tales of Bossing Say in the original series? Yeah, I don't think there's any at all. I don't. I don't think there's any. It's arguably the best episode of the series. There's like um, twenty seconds of one character getting mugged, and that character like defeats the mugger, but then tells him like important life lessons, and I think that's the right. only like violence that we see exactly and you know there's obviously the you know the important death that's relevant you know that came for through violence i will actually say there isn't there's no violence but there's a very important conflict because there is the most like cutting edge haiku off that i've ever seen that's true that's a that's a brutal (laughs) haiku off one of the brilliant moments i've ever seen in any television show ever lyrical violence (laughs) i like it i like it very sharp words yeah um Cool. I, I think that kind of is that we've we kind of covered a lot of things I wanted to cover. Um, what else? Was there other uh, questions you wanted to delve into or points you wanted to make? Um, no, I mean, I think we we covered a lot of it. Um, I mean, there's some specific things like bloodbending and, like, why is that so verboten? But, like, right. you know, it might be a bit, like, if you have to restrain someone, like, wouldn't it be better to bloodbend them than like hit them with a fireball? Yeah. But you know, I um, I I, th- I think we dealt with the the real, you know, the heart of the issue, which is, which you know, I think leads to as many questions as you know more questions and answers. But right. 
just you know yeah when you know when you're when you're writing villains with um sympathetic viewpoints or with like legitimate points to make like you know i think it's really important that the heroes you know or that the protagonists uh take those issues seriously and if if they can kind of come away changed like as having kind of absorbed some of the the antagonist viewpoint um i think that can be very powerful yeah i i agree with you there i think that i think that's to me there's two kind of stories i want to see more of one is where the heroes are powered people and the people critiquing them are maybe going a little too far but still our heroes take seriously the critiques and try to adjust and learn from them um Mm -hmm. But what I also want to see more of, and this is what The Boys is, and um, I, I'm trying to think of other shows that do this. I can't think of that many. Um, although, listeners, if, if you do, please write in and give us more examples. I'm, I think it's explored more in books. But where, you know, the protagonists are the people who aren't the powered ones, you know? Right. Um, the Boys, I think, being the best example of that. But I think that I, I look, I'd love to see others like that. I'm, I'm totally blanking, but can you think of any other movies or TV shows off the bat where that's the case? Um, I cannot, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, uh, well, maybe like Supernatural, I don't know, do they have powers? Uh, Um, I mean, they have, they have the power I haven't ever seen it, actually. Which is perhaps the most powerful superpower out there, but. Of course, of course. You're right. I mean, I, I guess I would say like the whole like category of like vampire hunter type stuff. Right. Right. Um, but what, but, but I guess I would, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I forgot what I was going to say, so you go. I guess, I think you're right there, but I think I would put it, maybe I should further uh, twist oh, what yeah. I'm asking for, is I, I think we have stories where there are people who have evil powers and are using them for evil reasons to do, you know, to and so our heroes are the unpowered ones fighting for justice right. as the plucky yes. underdog. And it's just clear. Yeah. I more yeah. mean worlds in which... Most of the people in the world believe that the powered people are good and are right. And our, our heroes are the ones who are like, eh, I don't think that's true. I think we need to kind of like right. pull the, like the, the book, The Reckoners do that. The, the TV show, The Boys does that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like, blanking on others. Yeah, I mean, so, so this is an example that doesn't actually involve powered people. But like, you know, you get a ton of, Batman stories where the police are basically trying to capture Batman or trying to figure out who he is. Um, and, you know, similar thing with Spider-Man. And, you know, this often... It's it's co- a common theme of you have a vigilante and then you have, you know, generally law enforcement, but it doesn't have to be law enforcement. It could be, you know, other protagonists. Um, well, what I'd like to see is, you know, some sort of show about you know, sort of like a masked vigilante who could have powers, and that's like a mystery. Mm, and yeah. you know, basically, um, the the protagonists are trying to figure out who they are, um, and maybe they're going around doing things that are good but are bad. But it's like, how do you how do you deal with it? And um, yeah, we just, we just don't have much where the unpowered characters are the the protagonists but the powered character but but everyone powered isn't like an antagonist yeah 
there's one example I can think of where there's only one person in the story who is powered, um, and but are and, and they are a protagonist, but the hero and the point of view character is not powered, and so we're seeing like this powered person from a normal person's eyes, um, and that's Sherlock Holmes. Um, and yeah, Holmes is not technically powered, but right, his, right. his intelligence and his deductive skills are basically a superpower. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And like in the shows and the movies, like it's hard to have, you have two characters on screen, they're both kind of like the point of view characters. Right. Um, but it's certainly told more from Watson's perspective. But yeah. especially in the books, um, I've only read a couple of them, and I read them many years ago. But my memory is that we get Watson's internal dialogues, we don't get Sherlock Holmes's. So we do get much more of a like, a normal person experiencing basically a powered person as they act in the world. Um, and then a lot of the story, often in humorous ways, often in serious ways, and this does come out in the movies and TV shows, um, is the way that Watson can get very frustrated with Sherlock in the way that he doesn't accept that everybody else has his powers and thus treats them like, oh, you're an idiot for not being able to do the thing that I can only do because my brain is this genetic marvel or whatever it is. Right, exactly. I mean, I think Watson is actually the first person narrator of most of, of the Sherlock stories. Yeah, that's definitely so, true. Um, so, yeah, we get his thoughts, and then we eventually get Sherlock's thoughts, but it it is very much this um, sort of unpowered character's view of, like, what's going on, where the, you know, the powered character, you know, and then Moriarty's kind of like another powered character, right, basically. Yeah. Um, so there is this struggle between them that we're not privy to on a first person basis. It's, it's second person, not second person, it's third person, but it's like right there, you know, it's like right, right next to him. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's a, an interesting and, and sometimes powerful way of, of telling a story. Yeah, I think it's definitely true. So writers in Hollywood, I'm sure you all are avid listeners to this podcast. Uh, take a note. Give us more shows like The Boys, uh, maybe without quite so much gore and violence and crassness. I mean, I love those things, but, you know, there could be a Nickelodeon version of The Boys. Um, exactly, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, all right, well, Paul, thank you so much, as always, for being on this. Um, to our fans, what do you think? What are some of your other, what are the examples we missed? Um, I know that, uh, particularly my perspective, although it sounds like, Paul, you're somewhat in agreement with me, but, you know, I've talked about my feelings on season one of Korra on some um, Avatar fan groups and gotten a lot of people who do not agree with me. So I'd be curious, um, are others coming out of the woodwork and they were also troubled by this? Or do you totally disagree and think, um, tell me a different reason why, um, what did we miss? That actually that there's reasons why the powered people are fine and, and, and the vendors shouldn't be questioning themselves the way we're talking about. Um, We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear any of those kind of thoughts. Um, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Superhero Ethics. You can, and we will put up an, uh, a post. You can post anywhere, but we'll put up a post specifically about this episode that you can then respond to uh, and talk about that way. Uh, excuse me. Um, so you can do that. You can also email us, superheroethics at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be happy to read your email on air. But also, if you say, look, we just want to send you these thoughts. We don't want you to read it on air. Um, that's fine, too. You know, either way, but we'll just... Love the engagement. We're starting to get a lot of engagement on the superhero on the Star Wars Universe podcast. Would love to really start to add more of it on here. So, um, but please keep listening. Please keep sharing this with your friends. Write those reviews. And uh, please, you know, whatever powers you do or don't have, be a hero. Have a good day.
cool.